Good morning. How's everybody doing? I, I, I got to tell you one. Can I just let you in on a little something this morning before we get started? I'm in a good mood. Just want to let you know. I know we're talking about a heavy topic, but I want to start off in a good mood. Uh, how many like it when you win at something? How many of you are competitive? Okay, five. Come on. How many of you are, you like to win? Okay, how many just, you like to lose? You just love to lose at things. Steve, you love to lose at things. That's why your marriage is so good. Um, and he's a... And he, and he's a Bills fan. But anyways, um, uh, my, my sons play football for Charles Finney High School, and uh, they've had a rough season. The first three games, they scored no touchdowns, 42-0, 61-0, 63-0. They won their homecoming yesterday, 14-13. I just was so excited. So, so... Not only did they score a touchdown, which we were just happy with. As long as they scored a touchdown, they won the game. So we're just proud of them. So I was in a good mood, and I was the crazy parent running all over the field. And Pastor Jim was watching the game, and he was very embarrassed. But anyways, we had a, we had a good time. Um, we, we, are in our, we are in a series on the, the topic of, of heaven. And let me just say this. If, if you've missed um, the, the couple messages before, go ahead. Check it out on iTunes. You can go on our website and uh, listen to the messages. I really uh, want you to, to understand what we're doing and understand the, the topic of heaven and hell so we have a good understanding, a biblical understanding of, of these things. And I believe it's just a really important topic in our, in our day and age. And, uh, and I believe there's a, a little bit of a, I see even in evangelical circles, um, a, a whittling away at the doctrine of, of, of hell. And, and I want us as a church to understand what does the Bible have to say about this? And, and really, what's, what's the purpose? And I know this isn't the, probably the most fun topic uh, to talk about, but I believe that, that sometimes I think we have a shallow understanding of what heaven is about. And I want us to have a, I believe the deeper understanding we have of heaven and the deeper understanding we have about the doctrine of hell, the more we'll understand about God's grace. And I believe the deeper we understand about God's grace, the more it affects our living here on earth and, and how we proclaim the wonderful message that Christ gave us, that he's alive and that he came for sinners. And, and so my prayer for you over the next couple of weeks is that it would deepen your love for Christ and, and deepen your passion for lost souls. That, that the understanding of heaven and hell would, would shake us, would, would bother us. It's a tension. It's, it's, it's something that, that's not easy. And I'm, I'm not here to make it easy. And I'm not here to tell you that it's not an easy topic to talk about. It, it's, it's, it's a tension. But, but Jesus talked about hell more than anyone else in the Bible. And if, if Jesus talked about this, then it's something we need to understand and, and grapple with and, and work through um, as believers. And, and I think some of it is, I think we, we just don't seriously think about heaven enough. And, and maybe the times you do think about heaven is, you know, when your kids are driving you nuts or when you've had a bad day or a week or a month or a year, or when you're going through a health ailment, sometimes we'll begin to, to, to think about heaven. And, uh, but I want us to get a, a good understanding of what heaven is, and hopefully it will shape our Christian walk here on earth. I love what uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon said. He's a, he was a great British preacher, and he, would, he was a teacher to uh, young uh, students that wanted to be pastors. And at his pastor's college, he said this to his uh, students speaking about heaven and hell. He says, when you speak of heaven, let your face light up. And when you speak of hell, well, then your everyday face will do. Um, I thought that... <laughs> 
Um, we talked about last week about being so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. And, and I don't really think that's our problem. Um, I think what happens is we just, we don't think about heaven. We don't have a right understanding about heaven. And I think C.S. Lewis makes an interesting comment about heaven when he says, for most of us, we, we find it very difficult to want heaven at all, except insofar as heaven means meeting again our friends who have died. And one reason for this difficulty is that we have not been trained. Our whole education tends to fix our minds on this world. Another reason is that we, is that when we, uh, is when the real want for heaven is presented to us, we don't even recognize it. And, and I think the problem is we, we kind of have a simplistic view of heaven. Like, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad to go to heaven and, and meet up with Aunt Gertie one day. I, I, I can't wait to see I don't have an Aunt Gertie, but if there's an Aunt Gertie in heaven, I can't wait to see her, okay? I know we, we want to see our loved ones. And, and, and I think sometimes what we end up doing is we make up our own ideals about heaven. We make up our own understanding about heaven, but we really don't understand the purpose of heaven. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity said, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. And so I, I want us to understand, our, our, why are we more excited about heaven besides just, as C.S. Lewis put, being reunited with loved ones? And I think it has something to do with this. We, we, we don't fully understand why Jesus came from heaven to earth in the first place. You see, Jesus left heaven to come and rescue us. He left a perfect place. He left his father's side to come to earth. He humbled himself, took on the role of a slave, and came to serve and give his life as a ransom for you and I. And, and so what we need to understand that the earth is, is broken. It's, it's defective because of sin. I mean, how many of you just look around and see what's going on in our world today? It's just evil. There's evil all around us. We, we see the effects of sin in our world today. And I believe the reason why we're not more concerned with heaven is that we're looking for earth to fix our problems. We're looking for earthly things to fix spiritual problems. And so what we've done is we, we, we've settled. We say heaven will be nice. Uh, it'll be nice to see people I love, but that's about it, just a family reunion. But there's so much more. I want you to see that God is restoring all things that are broken. For those of you that are here today that have come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God restored the brokenness in your life that was left behind by sin. God restored you, making all things new. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's something to get excited about. God's will in heaven has come on earth where he's showing you right before your very eyes, I restored you and I'm gonna restore this earth again. I'm gonna restore all the things that are broken. So for us, as we look at our own lives and what God has restored, it should get us excited and anticipating what God has in store for those who put their hope in him. So Jesus came to restore us, to redeem us. Heaven is where everything will be made right. What is broken will be made right. Heaven is our reward. It will be a perfect state. No more struggle with sin. No more taxes. How many believe that taxes are just evil? They're sinful, right? Those of you that don't amen my sermons, I can, I can get an amen out of that, right? Amen for, for that one. Taxes are sinful. Okay, good. I got you there. Okay, so there's no more taxes to pay, no more weeds to pull. 
right? Part of the curse. Uh, no lawns to cut. I know some of you like mowing your lawns, so maybe there'll be a little section in heaven for you weird people that want to mow your lawns, okay? Um, uh, no driveways to shovel in the winter. Can I get an amen there? You know that's coming, don't you? I hate to break the news to you. There's actually snow in the forecast for next week. No, I'm just teasing. Just teasing, okay? No, no more food to cook. I bet some of you like to cook. A little special place in heaven for you guys. You can cook for us. Uh, no, more, no more pills to take. No, no cars to repair. No houses to fix. No bills to pay. No diapers to change. Okay. Steve, you need to settle down. Steve's out of control this morning. Ushers, could you come and remove? Uh, um, it, 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 I want you to understand that heaven is a place where God is, is, is restoring, redeeming, calling back to himself the very thing that was broken. And we can get a glimpse of that right in our very eyes. So the, the question I, I, I want to pose to you today is that what is the purpose that we see in heaven and, and what is the reason for, for hell? And, and let, me just, let me just read the scripture as we, as we start off. In John 16, 33, I love this passage. And the, the disciples' hearts are, are, are troubled. And he says to them, these things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. Do you realize that you can have peace right now? Even in the midst of trial and tribulation, you can have peace. Jesus says, I've spoken these things to you, that, that wonderful gospel message, that, that in me you may have peace. In this world, in this world, in this world, you will have what? You'll have trials, you'll have tribulations, you're going to go through difficult times. But he says, be of good cheer or take heart. I've overcome this world. So here's the question. The question that I want to pose you this morning is, does everyone get to go to heaven? Is heaven the default destination or is hell? Because this is an interesting question that we need to ask all ourselves because most people will say that if you interview them, they'll say, oh, I'm going to heaven. And the reason why is because they feel like they're, they're basically good, right? They're, they, they, they're, they're, they'll be, if they're really honest with you, they'll say, well, I've done some bad things, but hopefully my, the good things in my life will outweigh the bad things. And, and compared to other people, I, I, I'm not that bad. Or you may run into people that don't believe in heaven or hell at all. And uh, many times you can change their mind when you ask them about Hitler. And they'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hitler, he, he, yeah, if there's a hell... He deserves to go there because he was really an evil man. But here's what I want, want us to be careful with, with this subject. It is a matter of heaven and hell. And we do need to get this right. We need to get, I, I know this is a hard topic to broach, but we need to get this right. And, and what's happened over the past few years, I've seen this topic come up in Christian circles, and some have even abandoned the doctrine of hell. And so what we need to look at is why did Jesus talk about this? What, what did Jesus say about hell? And, and, and let me first say this as we jump into this. I, I never take this topic lightly. Never. I, I like what T.S. Eliot says here. He says, I had rather walk as I do in daily terror of, of, eternity, of eternity than feel that this was only a children's game in which all the contestants would get equally worthless prizes in the end. 
You see, the fact of the matter is Jesus talked more about this topic than anyone else in the Bible. And it bothers me, it's a tension, it should bother all of us. And if, if, if we don't wrestle with this topic, something is wrong. And, and to be honest with you, I wish I didn't have to deal with it, but the Bible teaches on it. We need to understand the reality of hell and why Jesus talked about it. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Problem with Pain, says this, there is no doctrine which I would more willingly remove from Christianity than this, if it lay in my power. But it has the full support of scripture, especially of our Lord's own words, and, and has always been held in Christendom and has the support of reason. So what I want to do, I just want to give you a couple passages here, a couple passages here of Jesus' own words. Let, let's just, I'm, I'm just going to read them to you, and let's just read them for face value and what Jesus speaks about eternity and specifically about hell. So let's look at Matthew 10, 28. Let's see what Jesus says, and we're going to just go through some gospel uh, verses here in, 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 different, uh, in, in the different gospels. Matthew 10, 28. It says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Matthew 13, 40 through 42. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Mark 9, 43, and if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter a life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. Matthew eight twelve says, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing, and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 25, 46. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, I, I want, want you to see the common thread that we see in these, in just these few passages, passages that we read about Christ speaking about hell. What's interesting about this is that Christ says both heaven and hell are eternal. They're eternal. And these are the words of Christ. We have to deal with it, and we can't try to whitewash it or make it less than it is. So the, the question we need to ask ourselves is why? Why hell? Isn't, isn't God a God of love? Why would, why would God allow this? And I think the, the proclivity of our heart is to first blame God and not to look at ourselves. And so we have to look at whose fault is it? Is it God's fault and we're to blame him? Is God some you know, mean ogre up in heaven just wringing his hands, you know, wanting people to go to hell and, and, and he's this, you know, mean person that sends some to heaven and, and some to hell. Is, is that the character of God? Because we really need to understand the character of God. And I, I believe the reason why some have backed off the doctrine of hell, many evangelical churches, is for the very reason they don't have a full understanding of the character of God. Because if you understand the character of God, this will make much more sense to you. And you'll stop blaming God and you'll look at yourself for the reason. You'll say, wait a minute, maybe we're to blame. Maybe it's not necessarily God's fault, but it's my fault for the state that we're in. And so what happens is you'll get people like Rob Bell, former pastor, wrote a book called Love Wins. And the preface of his book, he says this, and this is, this is, 
an evangelical, claiming to be an evangelical pastor. This is disturbing to me. He says this, a staggering, I'm quoting, a staggering number of people have been taught that a few Christians, a select few Christians, will spend forever in a peaceful, joyous place called heaven, while the rest of humanity spends forever in torment and punishment in hell with no chance for anything better. This is misguided and toxic and ultimately subverts the contagious spread of Jesus' message of love, peace, and forgiveness, and the joy that our world desperately needs to hear. That should be disturbing to us. So we need to understand, okay, why are, we, why are many people backing off this, this doctrine? Let me just ask you this question. How many of you, if you were to stand before a judge, or you knew that someone did an atrocity to someone else. How many of you would want that judge to act honestly and fairly with someone who committed a crime? We all would, right? And if they, if they didn't, we would say that judge needs to be removed from the stand. Now, let me ask you this question. If someone committed a crime against you, an atrocity against you, would you want that judge to act righteously and give the verdict and act justly? Can I get an amen? You would. You see, here, here's the, the problem. We, we, we have a misunderstanding of the character of God. Yes, Rob Bell is right. God is loving. God is full of grace. But here's the missing component that we cannot throw out in the character of God. Yes, he's all these things, but God, if he's going to be the God that is full of love and acts, and, and acts righteously in all he does, then he must be a perfect judge. He must act correctly with his character and he must judge us correctly. And if we take that out from God, if we take his correct judgment out from God, then God's not who he says he is. And he doesn't act righteously in his judgment, just like a judge would not act righteously if he just batted an eye and let someone off the hook. So the stark reality is not everyone is going to heaven. And heaven is not the default, but hell is. So now we have to say, okay, pastor, that is just, whoa, man, wow. And here is the reason. Let me give you Jesus' own words here. In Matthew 7, 13 and 14, Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. Gate, singular. For the gate, singular, is wide and the way is easy that leads to what? Destruction. For those who enter it, by it are what? Many. For the gate, singular, is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to what? Life. And those who find it are few. Notice what Jesus says here. There are two gates. If Jesus did not speak on heaven and hell, then he wouldn't say there's two gates. Jesus says there's a gate that leads to eternity, and there's a gate that leads to life, and there's a gate that leads to destruction. That gate is huge. Many people pass through that gate. And so what Jesus is saying is his gate is small. Why? Because Jesus says, I am the gate. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. You say, well, pastor, that's pretty exclusive. That's pretty 
narrow-minded? Aren't, aren't basically all religions just the same? Let, let me just throw this, when, when someone throws that out to you, they say, well, you know, all religions are basically the same, they have the same kind of structure, and, you know, and, and, and eventually all these paths will eventually lead to God. That's a lot of mumbo-jumbo that's being thrown around a lot today. My question is this, if you take Islam and you begin to dissect the person of Christ and you begin to say, do you believe that Jesus is God? Do you believe that Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and life, and he's God? And they will, they will vehemently disagree with you. So my question is, do we all believe the same thing? No. So the next question would be, someone has to be right and somebody has to be wrong. And, and Jesus never gave us any other option to believe in him. He didn't say there's many gates. He says there's two. One that leads to destruction and one that comes through me, period. And the reason why Jesus can say that, you may say, well, pastor, that's so exclusive. I mean, that's so narrow-minded. Here's the thing I want you to realize. Yes, Jesus is exclusive in that we have to come through him, but he's all-inclusive in who comes to him. Amen. And see, that's the good news. For God so loved the world, okay? So, so let's understand, there's two gates, not many. As much as you want a fair and righteous judge to judge rightly if an atrocity were done against you or mankind, it's no different with God. God has to be perfect in his grace and perfect in his justice in the way he judges the world because we broke his commands. For those in Nazi Germany who, who killed millions of Jews, if, if they were not brought to justice, if, if, if this travesty were not brought to justice or just someone batted their eye, it, it would be an atrocity. People would just rise up and say, this is not right. You see, Nazi Germany is what can happen when man is left up to his own demise and becomes the moral judge of whose life is valuable and whose life isn't. You see, God is perfect in his judgment and he is fair. If God is going to be fair and right with us, he must deal fairly with the sin issue, all of our sin issue. And the bottom line is we all broke God's law. Every single one of us are guilty. Now, I know that goes against commonality of our day and age where it says that a person is innocent until proven guilty. It's totally different in the kingdom, in the kingdom of God. You are actually guilty until you are innocent. We are all born stained by sin. We are all guilty. We enter this world guilty because of, of Adam and Eve and because of Adam, Adam's disobedience to the Lord. So, so here's what I want you to understand. If heaven is not the default destination, then we need to take care of the sin issue. And that's the whole reason why Christ came from heaven to earth. Listen to Romans 3.23. These are verses that you should have memorized. And I'm gonna encourage you, if you have never memorized these, to memorize these verses. Romans 3.23. What does it say? It says, for all have sinned and it falls short of the glory of God. You see, here's, here's what it boils down to. God created you for his glory. God did not create you because he was lonely and he wanted to create barred drays to make him feel better. You understand that, right? He didn't, <laughs> it drives me nuts when I hear people say that, well, God was lonely and he wanted to create you. No, I heard somebody say that last week. I'm like, no, that's not the reason. God created you because he wanted you to enter into his glory. 
and to allow his glory to be reflected back to him that we might know God and understand him and be part of his, his, his wonderful creation that he could redeem you back and so you could understand who God is. God loves you so much that he wanted you to be part of his glory. And so what happened, Romans 3.23 says, we've all sinned and fallen short of that glory, every single one of us. And listen to these passages. I love Isaiah 59.2. Listen to what it says. Listen to what the writer says. He says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. So what's the issue here? The issue is our sin. Our sin has made a separation between us and God. It wasn't God's fault. It was our fault. We rebelled against God. In the latter half of Isaiah, he says, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. And so what we mistakenly believe is, God, if, if, if I could just be a better person, if I could just go to church more, if I could just, you know, pull myself up by my bootstraps. Well, you do that, your bootstraps are going to break. There's no way you could ever do that. If I could just do this better and this better, and what we miss is we're trying to cover our sins through our work, and God says that can never happen because your sins, are, your sins have separated you from me so far. It's a chasm that can never be breached in your own strength. And so the whole reason why God sent Jesus to this earth is to bridge that chasm that our sin created between us and God. And the only way that we can enter into that eternal glory, to that eternal life with God, is by having our sins dealt with. Habakkuk 1.13 says, But you are pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? And what the writer's saying here is, God, nothing unholy can stand in the presence of of a holy God. And he says, will you wink? Will you just bat an eye to, to people's sin and just say, well, that's no big deal. Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? You see, if God's going to be righteous in all he does, he must fairly judge our sin and we can't just be left off the hook. You see, no one is righteous in their own strength compared to God. We've fallen short and we cannot save ourselves. So the question is this, and this is where the whole good news comes in. The question is, how do we overcome our death sentence? Listen, people, the good news is only good unless it invades dark spaces. The, the good news of Christ is only powerful unless I realize that there's something amiss in my life. Jesus is not a self-help guru to come and be the means to your ends to make your life better. If that's the way you see Jesus, you've missed the whole reason why he came to earth. And so the way I have to see Christ is the good news comes into dark, ugly places. In order for it to be good, I have to say, oh good, Jesus came to save me from my own destitute and my own filth and my own sin. That's good news. He came to rescue me. And all of a sudden, heaven becomes much more glorious, doesn't it? But if, if Jesus is just some self-help guru, then earth becomes more attractive. Boy, that's good preaching. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. So, so let's, let's, how do we overcome this death sentence? See, we've got to understand that Christ is our only hope. He, he's it. 
You see, God, what he did was in his mercy, in his love towards you, he demonstrates it. That in while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. That's how much he loves you. God wouldn't love you if he was this righteous judge and then just batted his eye and just said, well, everybody can go in. Because then he never dealt with our sin issue and the cross of Jesus Christ would now become a mockery. Because I want you to realize that upon that cross, Jesus became your substitute. That upon that cross, Jesus died for our sins. Upon that cross, God's wrath was poured out upon his son so that God acted justly. So he didn't wink an eye at your sin. And so when you get a vision of Christ and what he did for you on the cross, all of a sudden it makes you realize, oh my goodness, Jesus became my substitute. Jesus bore all my sins. Jesus bore all my ugliness, all my evil, all my filthy thoughts. Jesus bore on the cross for me. Jesus became my substitute. Jesus, who was perfect and innocent in every way, bore my sins. And so God acted justly by allowing his son to become our penalty. So when you put your trust in Christ, the Bible says now God clothes you, not in your own righteousness, but in Christ's righteousness. And now we can stand before a holy God one day without any guilt, without any condemnation, because I put my faith in the one who could save. That's, that's such good news. That's such good news. So let me just say this. Thank God for his judgment on mankind. I know that's hard, but thank God for it, because if not, then I'm destitute for an eternity without him if it was left up to my own demise or my own good works. Because how many of you know we fail God all the time? We make mistakes all the time. But the Bible says that Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's a Savior we can go to. Jesus' death on the cross not only paid for the former sins, but the present sins and the sins that would be committed in the future. I love the picture of the, I love the, picture of the cross because you have the cross, you have two thieves on either side. And, and this is a perfect example of he who, who had no sin bore our sins so that we could become the righteousness of God. So you see Jesus on the cross. Then you've got a thief over here that says, wait a minute, I deserve to be up here. He's done nothing wrong. Would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Jesus turns over to him and says, today you'll be with me where? In paradise, in heaven. Then the other thief's over here saying, you know, if you're so great, why don't you get up the cross and save yourself and save us? He, he was not repentant. And there you get a perfect glimpse of God's forgiving power of one who never deserved it, yet trusted the one who provided it for him and one who rejected the one who provided for him and deserved everything he was getting. Perfect picture. Listen, every single one of us, we're either over here, God, it was my fault. God, I'm the, I'm the sinner. Jesus, you are innocent. It's only by your grace that I can be saved and even enter into the presence of God. And then we're either over on this side where we're like, yeah, God, what do you have done for me lately? What have you done for me lately? All these things that happened in my life, I blame you. Do we ever thank God for all the good things, the common grace that he gives to us each and every day? 
You see, unless we come over to this side, that's why the gate is so wide and many enter through it and why the gate is so narrow because it's hard for us as humans because the proclivity of my heart is to always protect myself. The proclivity of my, of my heart is always to, to wallow in my own sin and, and to just protect myself. The proclivity of my heart is not to say, God, it's my fault and I'm sorry. But when you get to that point, that's where you find life. Two gates, two gates. It is hard. I wish I could tell you it was easy, but it is hard. But those who walk through it find life. They find life, not only life, but they find life everlasting. You need to have this first memorized, Romans 6.23. I love Romans 6.23. These are some of the first verses I ever memorized as a Christian. I love Romans 6.23. It says, for the wages of sin is what? Death. We deserve it, right? But, but, I like that. However, stop, comma, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So here's, here, here's, this is a tension, this is a struggle. I, I know for some of you, you're wrestling through this mess. This is hard. But here's what I want you to see. The more we understand what we deserve, the more we submerge ourselves in God's grace. The more we understand that we are objects of God's wrath, the more we understand how powerful the death of Christ was. The more we understand that God needs to act justly, the more we understand how merciful he really was by sending his son that when I didn't deserve it, Jesus died in my place. Does that make sense? So instead of seeing God as this mean ogre saying, well, this person gets, you, you have to remember hell, hell. Hell was for the devil and his angels. And what begins to happen is when we don't fall in the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ, what we say is that the cross wasn't enough. And so God is perfect in all his ways. And so my prayer for you is this. My prayer for you is that God would so grip your heart that he would begin to dis just disturb you more and more for souls. And, and I gotta be honest with you, there's times where I just get callous and familiar. How many can just get familiar with your surroundings? And I think what begins to happen is specifically with our families, we can get very familiar with them. We forget to pray for them. I know when I drive from the church home, you drive down Ridge Road, and sometimes I'm like, did I stop at the stop sign? Did I go through the red? I don't even remember because it's like you're on autopilot. I mean, do, ever done that? You're just on, you're like, I'm not getting around Pastor Barton. He's driving because he's in another world. But what happens is you become so familiar with taking the same route over and over and over again that we become desensitized and numb to the things around us. And God showed me this a couple weeks ago. You know, I, I jog around our neighborhood and I, you know, I listen to podcasts of other pastors and I'm jogging, I'm listening to these podcasts saying, man, these guys are good. These guys can preach and I'm getting blessed. I'm like, oh man, I could, let me get this quote. I'm gonna use it in my sermon next week and I'm getting blessed, jogging, praise God, this is good stuff. And all of a sudden the Lord just taps on my heart. And he said, Bard, you remember when you used to jog around the neighborhood and pray for your neighbors? Don't forget to do that. 
You see, I got so familiar because I take, I am a creature of habit. I take the same route every single time I jog six times a week. I take the same. And it just, it's habit. And I used to, when I used to jog, I just said, I just, as I drive by all people's houses, I just pray for all the neighbors, new people that move. Just pray. It was just my little prayer jog. And, but as I began to listen and immerse myself into podcasts, I forgot to do that. And the Lord just tapped on my heart and said, Barden, don't forget that there's souls that live in those houses. Even though you've been living in this community for many, many years, don't get desensitized to souls. And I think what happens, listen, I, first of all, I love every single one of you, but listen to what happens. We can get so familiar with coming to church. And what begins to happen is we get desensitized to souls and praying for people and inviting people to church because it becomes common for us. May God, as, as, as we study heaven and as we, as, as we look in, into the doctrine of hell, may, may God just stir up our hearts to pray. How many know that, you know, it's appointed once for man to die, then judgment. And man's going to have to stand in judgment for their lives. And apart from Christ Jesus, they'll be found guilty, no matter how sincere or nice they are. And there's a lot of nice people out there, a lot nicer than me sometimes, right? But they'll, st they'll still stand condemned apart from Christ and his righteousness. So that should do something in our hearts to say, God, let me continue to pray for my family. I know some of you, you've been praying for some family members for years, and you're like, Pastor Barr, and I just, when's it going to happen? I want you to be like that persistent widow that keeps, keeps, keeps knocking, keeps knocking, keeps knocking, keeps begging, keeps begging, keeps, keeps rapping on, knocking on heaven's door. Just keep, God, I'm going to keep, I'm not going to give up because I know that you haven't given up because it's God's will. Do you realize it's God's will for your family members to come to know him? That's God's plan. That's God's will. God wishes that all would come to repentance. So we can't give up. We got to keep praying. And, and I believe what begins to happen is when we continue to pray, even though we don't see results, we don't see things in our timetable, God does something in me because what it does in me, it keeps me sensitive to souls and not to my own needs many times. Listen, we're going to get in. I know I keep telling you this. Pastor, when are we going to talk about heaven? We're going to talk about it in the next three weeks, okay? We're going to get into it. But I believe if we don't have this down, we can have all our theology correct about heaven. What's it going to be like? What are we going to do there? That's all fine and dandy to talk about those things. But how many know we live in the here and now? And unless we get this right, it's, it's useless to understand everything about heaven if we're not living it here on earth right now. If we're not living God's kingdom here on earth, if we're not saying, God, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so let's begin, just say, God, just begin to disturb me again for souls. Just disturb me again. And, and there's some of you here, you, you might, you're at a crossroads. Some of you here, you may not have come to a saving knowledge of Christ and Christ is calling you. You come to him. He fills you with his Holy Spirit. I, I'm just, there was a, I'm just so excited. I was talking to a teenager. He got saved. He came to Christ in the summertime. Pastor Jim and I had the, had the um, wonderful privilege of just talking to him about the Lord. And he came and we prayed with him. And he's been coming to church. It's been great. And he came up to me today. He says, hey, Pastor Barn, I want to go on the missions trip now. I'm like, 
Yeah, Jesus, that's what I'm talking about. That's the good stuff. That's, that's what I'm talking about. See, it's a, there's a soul that, it, that another teenager was praying for their neighbor and knew that they needed to, and just kept praying for him, praying for him, and then it just worked out where they came, where we got to talk to him about Jesus. He came to a saving knowledge of Christ, and now he wants to go on a mission trip. That, that stuff just lights me up. That, that's what gets me excited. Why? Because there was another teenager praying for their friend that he would come to know Jesus. And I'll tell you who was even more excited was that person that was praying for the boy. They're like, what? They came up, that's awesome. You know, I just, I just love that because that's what it's all about. It's beyond myself. It's God. How many know that God does the saving? We, we all know that, right? It's, it's Jesus led by the Holy Spirit. But how many know that God wants to use us to pray and to be that conduit between heaven and hell? Right? He wants to be that kind of in heaven and earth. We're the ones that stand in the gap there, and God wants to use us and to pray for people and to be his mouthpiece and to be his ambassadors for this world. So it's, it's boy, when those things happen, it's just being a Christian is the most exciting thing in the world. I don't know how people cannot think that being a Christian is not exciting. It just is. It's just, it's just, when you see things like that that changes people's lives for eternity, that's somebody's life that's been changed for eternity. What? The church is the best. Listen, this is the best organization in the world because it changes people's lives for eternity. The church does that. God works through the church to do that. I want to go to a place like that. Wow. I'm glad I'm at a place like that. So let's pray. And, and for those of you that are here today, maybe it's the first time you pray and just say, Jesus, I just need to come to you and ask for forgiveness for the wrong way I've looked at you. Forgive me. Make it as simple as possible because those are the prayers that Jesus likes. You don't have to pray in King James language. Just pray, God, forgive me. I messed up and I looked at you the wrong way and it was my fault and I need you. I need you to forgive me. And just trust Christ for your forgiveness today. And then for you that are here today, I just want you to, if God's laid somebody on your heart, a family member, some of you that have been praying for, I'm going to tell you, don't give up. And you keep praying for him. And let God give you a new burden for prayer for those people in your family, your neighbors, in your neighborhood to keep praying for them. Let Christ's love be the thing that thrusts you out into the world. And Listen, I can scare you about hell and make you feel all guilty about that, but you know how long that's going to last for? Until you walk out those doors. But if, if God's grace has truly gripped your heart, it's going to be something that's going to be a burden on your heart all the time. And that's what God desires. He doesn't want to guilt you into anything because that doesn't last. God wants you to be compelled because of his grace and what he's done for you. Let, be, let that be the thing that thrusts you out in the world. And let that be the thing that thrusts you in prayer and, and, and allows you to be part of God's kingdom. Amen. He needs us all to be part of his kingdom. So let's step into it. So Lord Jesus, we just bow our hearts before you today. Lord, I first ask that you would forgive us. Forgive me, God, for the times that I have just took casually uh, the things of heaven and the things of hell. Forgive me, Lord, when I've not seriously thought about the lost and I've been taking care of myself and not really praying. Lord, forgive us of that. God, I just pray that you would birth in our hearts, God, just a new desire to never give up, to keep praying for our family and our friends and our neighbors. Lord, just continue to burden our hearts for that. 
Lord, I pray as a church that, Lord, it would always be on the back of our mind, God, who, who can I invite to church? Who can I tell about Jesus? Lord, just let that be constantly in the forefront of our hearts and minds. I thank you for those that have been one to the kingdom who, God, you are changing each and every day. That, that's, that's stuff to get excited about. Lord, I pray for those that have never come to Christ. I pray, Lord, right now as they just pray to you and as they reach out to you, Lord, that, God, they would find that there's a Savior who died for them, who loves them, who gave his life for their sins. And they would come into that life-saving relationship with Jesus and Jesus alone. And that we would walk and grow in it, God. So thank you, Lord, for what you do each and every day in our hearts and our lives. May we become kingdom people that do your will, that are constantly compelled by your love, holding the truth in our hand and walking in your love. Thank you, Jesus, for showing us the way back to the Father. And we just give you the glory and the glory alone. In Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand this morning. We're going to just sing this song in closing. And let's just worship the Lord. Listen, as we um, sing this song, listen, if some of you just want to come up front and just pray, you're, you're always welcome to do that, by the way. I don't have to invite you. If, if God's burdening someone on your heart that you want to pray for, come forward and pray. And uh, just allow God to move in your heart during this time. And uh, just let God speak to you about the areas that he wants to deal with you in. Amen? So God bless you. Amen. Let's sing to the Lord. Be still. There is a healer. His love is deeper than the sea. His mercy, it is unfailing. His arms are a fortress for the weak. Let faith arise. Let faith arise. I lift my Yeah.